Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is Aaron Percival aka Corporal Hicks and joining me are my fellow small town country folk. Adam Zeller aka Ridgetop. Eric Adams aka Xenomorphine. And we're a bunch of nerds who like to get together to talk our favourite franchise of Alien vs Predator. With some slashes in there as well to make sure it's three separate things. Alien slash versus slash Predator. It's a franchise thing. Did Did you like the country, small town country folk thing? Did Did that feel appropriately yes, thematic? Yes, I this? got your reference there. <laughs> small Texas town, indeed. Town. According to this uh, script that we're going to be chatting about today, which wasn't my initial plan for this episode, so I was like, I'm sick of doing books that I don't like and comics that I don't like. Let's do a film that I don't like. <laughs> Adam does, so we're balanced. I will always admit that movie's got some problems, some big problems, but I was always happy about it. Yeah, that, that's why your taste is always suspect. <laughs> Adam, was it the first Alien film you saw, or am I misremembering? No. I mean, I, I had seen them all before that. The first one I saw in theaters was... Um, AVP? No, Alien, the director's cut. Oh, no, you saw it, yeah, the year before, wasn't it? Before AVP. October... 2003 for the director. That's right. Yeah. Hoping for that AVP trailer. Yes. That teaser trailer with the suits mm-hmm. just being panned across. I, I remember the days. We've got a couple of Extinction related episodes coming up. And I was like, that's going to take a lot of our time doing prep. Let's do a script review where we just have to read the script and it's not as prep intensive. Why don't we do Eric Red's Alien 3? That should be funny. Enough time's passed that it won't be offensive. <laughs> that's one way of putting it. Offensively bad, should I say. That That's that's the thing I'm on at the minute. And Adam says, let's do AVP Requiem. And Hicks went, ah, okay. I had never read this script before. Surely you had. Maybe at one point it had been a long time if I had, but I remember all the uh, the news hubbub about it with, you know, Ain't It Cool News mm-hmm. coming out and reviewing the script. I went back and I looked at our old posts about that, and I guess Fox was pissed and had them take it down, you know, threaten legal stuff or cease and For Ain't It Cool News, yeah. Yeah. Because there was a whole thing about it being unfair to review an early, an early first draft of a script. And yes... To some extent, that is very true because I think a lot of a lot of scriptwriters say just getting that first draft finished is a huge accomplishment in itself, you know, and then you refine it and then you go from there. The first draft's never perfect. And yeah, I completely agree. You know, it is it is unfair to rip into and publicize that first draft when the film was, I don't even think, had started production at that point. And as we'll find out. The film may not be the greatest film in the world, but it is substantially... Better than this draft. Better than this draft, yeah. I mean, the backbone is primarily the same, but there's a lot of details, a lot of specifics, what they do with the alien. You know, it's still problematic in the finished film, but it is substantially better than this draft. This is the first draft, isn't it? Yes, this is the very first draft dated December 2005. Yes. So it's one year after... Anderson film. Yeah, they were working on it for some while. And the writer, Shane Salerno, was uncredited for the original AVP. 
Well, there was a lot of Writers Guild of America arbitration over that one because Anderson wrote the initial stuff and then Salerno did polishers. And mm-hmm. there was, yeah, there, there was some arbitration over that. I remember Peter Briggs talking about it because he was involved as the original writer. So they had to pull him in to, you know, see how much of the finished film was was sort of from his contributions. He's, he's talked about that before. But yeah, so Salerno worked on the original and then was apparently tasked to get this one up and running. You know, there was earlier that earlier pitch that we... Maybe not pitch. That earlier story concept that was talked about for an AVP2 where the Predator ship instead crashed in like Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, one of the Middle Eastern conflicts, and it would have focused around like the, the military finding it. And I find that in that concept a lot more interesting. Did they run with that for Sand Trap? Is that what that was? Well, whether that was in, intentional or not, who knows? You'd have to ask whoever it was. I mean, who it wrote came out with the, with the AVPR DVD set, if you remember. I do remember who wrote Sand Trap. That big DVD set that had the McFarlane like battle statue thing. Mike Kennedy. So Mike Kennedy was one of Dark Horse's editors, I think. I mean, what's interesting is that this one has the lead character, Kelly. She's just come back from Iraq. So whether mm-hmm. the seeds were planted in that. And I remember, I know Adam's got it, the um, Requiem Behind the Scenes book. It gives, I think it's um, Woodruff or Gillis, and they go through like there was a brainstorming session that they just threw everything and it's absolutely crazy it's worth it just to read that it's worth saying this version of the script even the first half it's a lot toned down from the some of the stuff they um, thought up during then yeah well adam and i were just talking about that this morning actually because he was like how much of that was taken further and i was like i'm fairly sure it was just yes throw shit against the wall and see what yeah uh, sticks kind of thing yeah it was just random ideas that adi sort of threw fox's way because i had a memory of from some news story or, or something back in the day where we had heard that the Predator gun had been recovered by teenagers and they were using it to shoot cows or something. Oh, yeah. That that was one of the bullets. Did you not... Did you not go back and reread it? Mm-mm, not that one. No, so yeah, it was it was just at like the very start of the making of AVP Requiem book. There's just like all the bullet points of this brainstorm session that they had, where they were like, "Here's potential ways the Predalien production cycle could work, and what happens if kids get their hands on, you know, the local kids get their hands on Predator technology and stuff like that." And that was one of the bullet points from the kind of stupid shit they would do. Oh, so it wasn't it wasn't anything serious or substantial. The Predalien was originally going to be able. To somehow naturally go invisible because they said, Well, the predator can do it, but <laughs> that was one of the ones that just showed up in the middle somewhere. Mm, you know, yeah. I, I went back and re listened to our interview with Liam O'Donnell, you know, because he did uncredited story work, script work on the production while they were filming. And, you know, that was the kind of stuff we asked him about, you know, these. So we heard about this and we heard about that. Tell us about this kind of thing. And yeah, there was a lot of studio notes on this film by all accounts. I mean, that explains a lot in itself, but thankfully not in this particular draft. Shall we talk about it? Shall we go over the big differences of which there is one straight away? Let's open that Pandora's box. Go on, Adam, take take it away, you fanboy. So this main difference has been referred to if you watch like the special features of AVPR, they talk about this, where the Predalien dies on page three. It dies before the ship hits the ground. It fights the other predators on the ship and it causes the ship to go down and crash. But it is, I think it's just plasma castered 
I think that's how it's killed. Is it killed by the blast broadcaster? I thought yes, so. Yes, yes, no, it's no, you're quite right. Basketball-sized hole, yes. I think it says, in, in its back. To, to be fair, you know what? It, it was a little bit of a better cause of the ship crashing than the Predator just moving to the side and firing his, so his bolt. That. One specific instance in the movie has always been like, wait, what? And that is where one of the Predators pursues the Predalien, fires his plasma caster at the Predalien, which runs off and it misses it. And then he just turns and looks at the wall and fires it into the wall and you see the exterior of the ship. Yeah. And that's when the ship heads towards the planet to crash. I'm like, well, why did he just turn and shoot the wall? It's a, it's a thing in the Predator franchise. Characters like turning and accidentally shooting, you know, like Traeger in, in the Predator. Yeah. In my mind, I had headcanoned it like, okay, maybe one of the facehuggers got out and was creeping up on him and he, he had to like shoot it. But in the script, they explain it. They say the Predalien grabbed his wrist gauntlet, which causes the weapon to accidentally fire. You are you are reaching so far to say that's <laughs> explaining it. This is entirely different situational circumstances, my friend. It makes much more sense in this script. It, they are actually tussling and fighting and it works. That does not excuse the film. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it works in the script. They explain oh, it. Yes, in the film, it works it's still, in the script. Yeah, in the film, it's still like, wait, why did he do that? You know, mm-hmm. why did he just turn and shoot the wall? Like in Prometheus, where it makes no sense why the engineer just starts flipping out, whereas in the ori- engineer's script, there's this like cohesive logical reason for it happening. He's pissed off. He's going to get chest bursted. Yeah, he's woken yeah. up just to, yeah. I mean, there, there's some weird stuff. It felt like this was a really rushed draft because even before that, there's um, there's also weird. He keeps on describing this Predalien as having yellowish, yellow hands for some reason. Yeah, there's a, it shoots through the hull, and then the third Predator shoots his net gun at the hull, which is creating this, you know, a vacuum. And he says that seals it. I think it wouldn't seal it. <laughs> One of my notes is not sure how well a net gun net seals a hole into vacuum. No. Like it might force the predator against the hull, and then it then it gets uh, sliced going through the net. Yeah, because my thought was, well, hang on. If you ask, you know, science versus Hollywood type things, some of them agree about would the newborn get sucked out or not. But this is within that continuity, so we've just seen little hole like that, and the whole newborn got sucked out. So this is a net gun. It wouldn't just get sucked out through that. It gets sucked out through many, many, many holes. So it'd be like pureed. <laughs> Just be this cocktail of luminous green <laughs> flowing past the ship. That that was definitely one of those shit. I need to finish this first draft. We'll tidy this yeah. up in a bit. Yeah, sort of moments. Yeah, and you know, it, it was also the Predalien matures within like two paragraphs, which it kind of does in the film as well. But it's just it's meant to infer there's a segue of time. But yeah, but I think that's just a problem with later entries, and I. I wish people would, and I hope Fede Alvarez does, take the time to slow down. That tension, that ratcheting it up of tension and the slower pace. Let's stop rushing. You know, Anderson had a 10-minute alien life cycle. You know, this one has a two-minute alien life cycle thing. Even Covenant, you know, that's... I mean, that we don't know, but that's that's 30 fast. seconds, the, the Neomorph runs off and it comes back like yeah, half grown. Well, I was thinking more the alien alien, but... It should be pointed out that in this one, there is a scene with a homeless guy where it is inferred he's woken up, he doesn't have any memories, and he's doing something completely different. Then it happened. And I thought, oh, 
oh, this one is actually taking account of like the Kane's gestation mm-hmm. period in that. And I always thought, oh, that did it better than the film did because the film is very quick. But yeah. One thing I did like about the opening scene, though. Well, actually, I'm not sure if I like it or not. I think it would depend on the execution. But the yeah. Predalien grabs a predator spear and uses it mm. to kill one of the predators. Now, I kind of like the image, but it doesn't feel like it would be quite as natural as predator using, you know, a, a human gun. You know, that that's a natural thing. I kind of like the idea of the Predalien using a spear because it does, you know, it's a tool user. It's, it's not yeah. using a gun. It's not using a cloaking device. It's a little bit more advanced, but it shows a little bit of intelligence to them. Yeah. Pushes that boundary a bit. It's like Alien Resurrection where the alien hits the like liquid nitrogen, mm-hmm. button, right? What, what did you guys think about that bit then? Yeah, I barely even noticed that bit, honestly. <laughs> I was just getting through that fight sequence. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. that Because that seems like it kind of takes the whole tool user thing even a bit further. So it may... It, I mean, it would depend if it's just grabbing something and swinging it back at a predator. Yeah, you know, so if it looked like some fight thing with the staff that would be weird for sure so yeah i don't it's hard to really give an opinion on that one on the other hand i think the fault is more in lines with why would a predator use a spear in a very close quarters combat situation because that's the one time you don't want to use a, a long thing like a pole or a spear but i mean if it's got it out i can see the predator just you know holding it and countering sort of them but why wouldn't it use its tail it's like you said, Aaron, it'll be all in the execution, how a director would handle it. It could look really silly, you know, if it's just heat of the moment. Dun, dun, dun. I could see it. Yeah. And another thing I liked was the visuals in my head of them fighting on the upside down ship. What did you guys feel about that one? Yeah, that'd definitely make for a cool visual if we saw a bit more of, of a fight sequence as the ship was in free fall going down. Like that would be a cool opening sequence. Yeah just like inception style right mm. the room's just like turning or something like yeah. that that'd be that, cool. that that was kind of what i was imagining as i was reading it and it also gave me vibes of and i'm sure eric will appreciate this you know the, the idea of the zero gravity uh, opening sequence from peter briggs's second avp that we've never got but that it only exists in our imagination yeah. and these brief paragraphs that peter briggs has gave but yeah i thought that was i was like oh that could have been cool probably would have been cut as it obviously was because i'm sure it would have been a more expensive, expensive sequence yeah to... i mean you'd have to make it clear that this predator ship's artificial gravity is no longer active or something after it had gone through the atmosphere otherwise it wouldn't make any sense i suspect that was a victim of budget cuts because they would have had to have made a special set that sort of revolves and rotates and fox probably went no we don't want to spend the money on that just make it all but i think if you give unusual environmental things to a director that lets them play that's their playground that gives you the new ways to set shots up and stuff that's great but yeah it wasn't to be to be fair though i mean they ended up filming all the predator stuff on green screen anyway so that for the ship yeah. yeah they would have like little elements i think the predator's like trophy table where he was cleaning the skull was part practical but everything surrounding it was cg so maybe that wouldn't have been so expensive. Yeah, to... maybe. Yeah. I mean, they are a visual effects company as well. Yeah. You know, Hydraulics was. That was, I assume, part of the reason, you know, they got the gig. The directors come with a visual effects studio. We also do know that I think Fox told them well, you can either have several Predators or you can have one that's a really well-made suit sort of thing. So that this involved three Predators. So I think that probably played a... Uh... Well... I mean, to be fair, the the ship sequence did have multiple predators anyway, and they it were did, just re- yeah. they were just reuse yeah. suits from uh, from AVP. 
So I feel like that's a kind of a moot point. They did an effective job with that, though, with like the bone oh, yeah. grill concept. Bone, bone grill's mask was great. And they all looked thinner. So like the, none of them had that bulky look. Although if you could tell the armor was still kind of bulky on the thinner bodies, so it did look a bit off that way. But another thing about the script that differs from the film is when the ship crashes, it is cloaked. Yeah, and it's not cloaked when it flies in, but when it's crashed, it's cloaked. Why? <laughs> the earlier trailers for AVPR, didn't it have the ship crashed while cloaked? I think you may be right. I have to look at that. So that, that might have just been one of those random, can't quite decide how we want it to look pieces. But what's, what's weird about that is it literally, is it, now I made a little note of this, it literally, the script says because it's cloaked, no one has seen anything. And I'm, I'm thinking, but it's just described it. It's caused a massive crater and everything. Like, if there's any witnesses, they would see a crash. They would probably also see, like, atmospheric friction as it's coming in through the atmosphere that fast. The ship might be invisible, but what it's doing is not invisible mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> so, yeah, on the way down, the Predalien dies to a plasma shot. Anticlimactic. Bye-bye. Very anticlimactic, but fair to kill it with the, the plasma cast. I was like, yeah, okay, that's nice not to overpower it. But yes, it is massively anticlimactic. A fan backlash would have been yeah. huge to that. I mean, what a giant waste it would have been to have spent all that money on developing the design and building a brand new suit to then throw it away five, six minutes into the film. I mean, the first movie ends on the shot of the Predalien. The whole first movie ends with that setup. So to to kill it off that quickly. All people talked about during, you know, the run up to AVP, you know, a lot of the fan speculation, a lot of the questions they were asked on, you know, the set visits and the interviews and stuff like that was, is there going to be a Predalien? And, And I remember one of the set visits uh, whichever outlet it was who went, you know, they talked about seeing a box that was labeled hybrid and, you know, everybody was sort of super jazzed about it and it, and it ends on this sequel bait of the Predalien bursting, you know, and it just would have been such a waste to throw it away. So I think it was a really good part on the Strauss brothers, you know, on Liam's part to push to make the Predalien, you know, the primary antagonist of the film. You know, thoughts on the design entirely withstanding, that's, you know, that's regardless. But to have it be the central alien character was a really good change. And it also fixes one of the, I say this, it fixes one of the problems with the aliens in this first draft as well, which is... There's no explanation for how they're growing as a hive. Yes, because you see, you see the, like in the finished film, you know, you have the stasis tubes with the face huggers. And you get an initial two, I think it is. Two, yeah. Go out with a random adult alien that shows up somewhere in the crash. A human one, apparently. I was immediately thinking, right, if I was seeing that as an audience member, my thoughts would go, why have they got a human posted alien? Because they've clearly been coming to Earth every hundred years. So what, they've been keeping it in the laboratory for a hundred years. Yeah. Also, they have crab-shaped stasis. Yes, they did, which I thought was a little... I was like, yeah, I, I kind of see what you're going for, but... You just need a tube, which is what they do in the thing. They just yeah. have those tubes. It does what it says on the tin. It works. <laughs> Why? I don't even know how they would... What, they'd be like flat behind pane of glass and just... I know, crab-shaped cylinder. A cylinder, too. A crab-shaped cylinder. So it's a cylinder. <laughs> yeah, it's very peculiar. There's a lot of, I'm going to write this out in a weekend sort of thing. And that was one of those... 
one of the things that was kind of funny too is the the hunter and his son buddy and sam the son discovers the cloak ship by smacking his head into it just this little kid i just imagine this little kid running into this cloak spaceship and dunk and it falls down it's like (laughs) come on that would have gotten a laugh from the audience you know it would yeah it's not in this draft, but something Liam told us when we spoke to him, you know, it was one of the subsequent drafts they got. They did have, you know, how the, the Predalien injects embryos with the tongue. Apparently, in one of the subsequent drafts they got after this, this first one, they had regular aliens doing that. Mm, yeah. So, again, it's kind of like thoughts aside on the specifics aside, having it, having the Predalien take over as the primary one does give them the flexibility to try and work in this alternate breeding cycle. It still don't make sense anyway, but yeah, if you're going to have it, have it with the specialized design, yeah. It's always been wishy-washy. It's always yeah. been wishy-washy, but it, it would have been... works better than random yeah. adult aliens. If you just it. had this as some weird new ability adult aliens could have done, it would have created much more uproar, I think. Having it as the Predalien being some sort of genetic abnormality of the crossing, or as Colin said, like a trait of a, a molting queen... Which works I only better. said after our forums, I noticed Colin <laughs> yeah, replied was to our someone fault. who mentioned that as a theory. And <laughs> after that point, in the press conferences, they started saying, yeah, well, well maybe. So <laughs> whether it was conscious or not. The directors know. will take the good ideas from the fandom. You know, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day who's working on an alien film, shall we say. And one of the things, you know, that came up in the conversation was Ridley Scott and the Walter David thing, how Scott had started telling people that it was a reference to David Garner and Walter Hill, you know, the longtime Alien series producers. And I was saying that I'd seen an interview in which the journal had asked him, was this an intentional callback? And Scott says to the guy, no, but I'm going to start telling people it is because that's a really good idea. And I've never been able to find that original interview and it pisses me off no end that I didn't save it. But yeah, you know, the studios and, and the powers that be are happy to take our good ideas and, uh, and run with it. So it's at this point after the ship crashes as well that we have our next big difference. Well, just before you do that, in regards to the Hunter and Son, I did notice, and from that point on, this particular script I did notice has a weird habit of giving characters surnames who absolutely don't need a surname, and it gives them really weird character descriptions that serve absolutely no purpose whatsoever. There are a number of, like, scriptwriter no-nos. I'm just thinking of Eddie um, Eddie Morales's introduction. Yeah, he looks too young to be a cop, yeah. but that's what he is. Yeah, Sheriff Eddie Morales looks too young to be sheriff, but that's what he is. What does that do for you <laughs> as an actor? Or like, you don't need that at all. Like, give a physical description or yeah. give something that comes into the story, something like that. Oh God, there's some. Re- we'll come to them later on, but there's. But some no, really feel weird... feel free to to throw out any notables here. It's it's the Eddie one that I always notice. I mean, here's one that they talk about, like where they have that conversation with the pizza guy manager. He says, "Drew, thirty five, started delivering pizza when he was sixteen for Domino's and never left. He is now the manager." Bernie Krakauer again, a surname not needed. Bracket. Affectionately known as Bernie oh. the Bum round Galveston because he wears the same overalls every day. While, while we're on this character, actually, why does why does Shane Salerno hate homeless people or poor people? <laughs> the mole people? The mole like. people. 
<laughs> Absolutely atrocious writing there. He, well, he hates the homeless. There are some interesting written bits in this, you know, one of which was, was reported on by the ACN, AICN thing, which was right after the ship crash. For the first time ever, an alien footprint forms on American soil. And it's just like... Uh, and not only right. does it write it, the script itself underlines it. Like you're meant And to it's go. in bold. Like... <laughs> Here's another one. This is really weird because it says Scotty, bracket, 23, skateboarder type, bracket, and Earl, bracket, 40, African-American, bracket. What, like an African-American can't be a skateboarder? Or what? You look in at this as a casting director and go, right, what do we need? It doesn't give you anything that goes into the story. It doesn't give you anything for the actor. Doesn't give you. It's very... Very peculiar. And also there's a, the one with the pizza manager, like the works at Domino's. There's a weird amount of product placement in this whole script. With Kmart too. And you literally have a moment where Jesse's like, Kmart has everything. And I'm yes. like, ah, that would have been That so was bad. so cheesy, but it also <laughs> made me, it made me think of the Justin Spitzer show, you know, um, Superstore. Unfamiliar. No, no fans. Okay, it's, <laughs> it's a sitcom about you know basically working in a Walmart kind right. of place, Kmart kind of thing, and you know it just they have episodes where they you know they have a gun. I don't know if this is the thing in America, but it's like Eric Har equivalent of an ASDA selling guns. You know, I it just made me think of the episode where they they would they focused on on this gun store in the middle of the superstore, and I just kind of had a little chuckle. It would have been fucking terrible. It works a lot better in the finished film with it being a dedicated... Sporting yeah. good store. Yeah, sporting the, hunting there's store. There's this whole wodge, this massive paragraph, again, with the pizza manager guy. And he not only like mentions, but these are real company names, and there's a massive paragraph. He only needs to do it once or twice for the effect the character's meant to be having. But he says, but what? Wall Street reckons... You're not going to college, so what factory in town do you want to work at? Valero, ASF, Chevron Phillips, Monteva Huntsman. Why? Has somebody paid you to do... I don't think they do that in the film, so clearly it got changed. But If they're in Texas, oil is pretty lucrative, much more so than pizza right? delivery or management. <laughs> like, I don't think that's, some of that's that bad of a suggestion, but... And they even have, they even talk about um, an old monster movie, Alligator, and they actually talk I about I like Houston. that. Yeah. No, that no, was an interesting fine, reference. They, they talk about Houston. So clearly, when he was writing this, he thought, right, I'm going to vaguely research references to the location. And yet something like that, which you'd think, right, career opportunities nothing and it's an oil state so it's it's kind of schizophrenic writing in places it was nice to kind of show the limited options of the people there you know of, of giving it this small town sort of country feel to it all the businesses are being laid off as well in there yeah so i mean sure it, it, as you read in this script it is a little weird with the very overly specific brands and companies and stuff yes. like that but in terms of the so it's, it's such boring a world building when you consider the fact that we've come from spaceships and colonies and prison planets and stuff like that yeah. but in terms of trying to do a little bit of character building i liked them trying to give a little bit of desperation a little bit of working class blue collar to these very dull down to earth <laughs> kind of people yeah, kind of but i mean even in the ain't it cool news initial script review they mentioned like it feels like a 
a generic slasher type thing. And like there's a there's a part in this much later on where there's a little girl reaching down a sewer grate to retrieve a ball and it does that typical fake out thing where the alien gets closer and just as it's about like you see it in Jaws movies, just as she's about to do the girl removes her hand. And at that point I thought I kind of get why I'm having this weird vibe with this script. It made me think of it. Yeah, it feels like a low-budget version of Stephen King's It, and except that they're doing lots of tropey, predictable things in it instead of upping the tension on that. But yeah, yeah I'm with you there. Although people say, oh, it's very Friday the 13th, small town, but I, I realised that's where it's at. And, you you know, it actually shows you how scary that setting can be. And all this is just devoid of it. But you do have a lot of these fake-outs and predictable things where you've seen it in so many other especially like Jaws sequels, as I said. And it just feels like Pennywise if Pennywise got like a Walmart mask and just, it's just not, you're not using the setting to its strengths. That's the scene that made me realise, oh, it's the, because it's sewers and small town and they're having a thing coming up after a little child and innocent. And even the script talks about, you know, innocence and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I thought, ah, oh, he's either got subconsciously it on the brain or... They do focus on the sewers a bit more. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, and the finished film does to an extent, you know, it very much leans into that cliche slasher horror kind of aspect of it, you know. It knows what it is to an extent because it goes very gratuitous. But it's not being like Stranger Things where it's doing clever things with those Mm. elements. It's not reinventing it. It's just, I'm a B-movie, I'm going to do B-movie things. Yeah, yeah. To the point where as soon as I realised that, I thought, I had this visual of the Predalien in clown makeup with a red nose. (laughs) Oh, that's not the effect you want to have on a reader who's being given a script. Can I greenlight this, please? There's also a big difference in this draft to the finished film is that the whole dynamic between Molly and and Kelly is pretty different. With it being more of your kind of, like, maybe you could compare it to Jurassic Park 3, like, divorce thing, where the child doesn't have any issue with her mother coming home from the military. It's her husband. There's a strain there, and he wants a, a divorce now. And when the child finds out about that, she's kind of distraught about it. Whereas in the film, you have this distance between the mother and daughter, and there's it doesn't look like there's any kind of strain with the spousal thing. So I really... Well, first of all, you know, because I would like to throw in the things that I like. I love the mom, I don't speak Rambo line from Molly. Yeah, I did, yeah. From a six-year-old? Would they say that, really? I mean... Well, I mean... <laughs> in, in a new kind of way, I can imagine a new type character saying, yeah. It was funny. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was charming. But I really don't like the dynamic that they went for in this script with Tim. This idea of him, and again, maybe it's just because of um, the times have moved on and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But this idea of him being super uncomfortable and awkward and Marty around the idea that his wife had gone off to fight a war and he stayed home and everybody took the piss out of him for it. I don't think times have changed. I saw at the end of it what they were going for because when they do the you know the helicopter thing at the end, there's that payoff. And it's not even in dialogue. It's just purely stage direction where it says he realizes that the thing he hated about his wife has now saved them. So there's that poetic irony. I did like a little bit of dialogue but that comes into it again um, where 
she shoots a chestburster that's about to attack her daughter, and Ricky says, army training, and she shakes her head and she says, mother. I hate I hated that. Some of the dialogue in this it. was, yeah. I liked that. But they're so few and far between that aside from giving the daughter night vision goggles, which there could have been some other reason for it, it doesn't really come into the story that much. So I, I think this whole, yeah, it didn't really work, that whole thing. But there was definitely that subplot that's way stronger in this about separation and divorce and that with the parents. I liked it a lot more in the finished film of it just being this because it becomes this yeah. inverse of, of Ripley and Newt. Hmm. Aliens is her finding this surrogate child at the end of it. And yes, to some extent, Molly and Kelly do sort of make up again, but it's, well, I suppose maybe actually it is very much Newt and Ripley because it's a strangeness, isn't it? Yeah, to start it came with. across that way in the film. Yeah. A lot of people commented on that, yeah. But I think I. <sighs> I preferred it without this weird sexist military awkwardness to it that is in the draft. Yeah, I mean, that might have felt dated even as far back as 2007, but I mean, it is small town Texas, so. Another thing, too, is there's a bit more context as to the relationship between the brothers, Dallas and Mm. uh, Ricky. They talk about how their father is working uh, an oil rig and just sends money for, for the rent, and I guess their mother left. But not only that, you find out later that Dallas took the fall and went to prison over something Ricky did. Which I loved. I missed that background in the film. I actually really liked that. And it, it went a lot towards making me really like Dallas in the script compared to the film. I don't know. I just kind of liked how he was a, a thief and he went to jail for something he did. I just thought it was kind of an unnecessary like reveal like, oh, it was really something his teenage brother pulled off. I'm like, really? It kind of caught me more by surprise. It must be said there are a couple of moments where whenever we've had these debates about like the newer generation of film where they start to put self-referencing homage things and <laughs> this one that I thought, I don't actually, it might be in the film. I don't remember. I remember reading it and going, oh, I would have cringed at that. Sheriff Morales, John McTiernan over at the mill is hiring. <laughs> and um, the science teacher is named Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that he like adds that to the mountain of references that already, although I read through it and I was waiting for the like the gravestone things in there and that wasn't in the script. I think there was. I think there was a couple more in there. I think there might have been a, a Hill and a Walter, a David and a Walter at some point in here as well. So speaking of Mr. Thomas, if I remember rightly, the Ain't It Cool News review, which we haven't really mentioned in this episode yet, um, Adam will have to bring that one up in a minute. They they took the piss out of the survival of the fittest Darwinian kind of dialogue that was in the script. Apparently, that was filmed as well, but but cut from any of the finished films, and that the classroom scene, yeah. So there's there's a sequence in which Mr. Thomas is giving this very cliched dialogue on, you know, survival of the fittest, those who can adapt, survive kind of thing. It was filmed, apparently. I think Liam told us it was filmed, but none of that has ever seen the light of day and for very good reason. It's intercut with Aliens in the Sewer, right? During that yes, sequence. it is. Although right. when yeah. I read it, I thought to myself, they could have just ended it with him saying that to the class and then just cut to that scene. Although I did notice the script itself, it's again, it's another thing that the viewer will never be aware of. The script starts with that quote about yep. Darwin's survival of the fittest. So clearly I think Shane Salerno read up on that and he thought, oh, I'm going to use that. And doesn't Ricky bring it up later too? Like, yes. oh, I learned this in class. It's like, uh, 
Yeah, that is the payoff to him being in class and hearing that speech, and then he says, no, it's about adaptation. It's such a cliched script writing kind of thing, and I'm so glad it did not see the light of day. Yeah, I don't think it was as powerful as Shane Salerno thought it was when he was writing it. And I think it was one of the working titles of AVP, wasn't of, of AVP two? You know, wasn't it? AVP two Survival of the Fist? Wouldn't surprise me. Originally, it was um, in the original AV, the Anderson film that says to be continued in Annihilation. Annihilation. Yeah, very video gamey. I think that was when Anderson expected to be coming back to write it, maybe. But yeah, I think I heard something about Survival of the Fist. Adam, why don't, why don't you tell us about that? Ain't it cool review? Have we, have we really spoke about it? We mentioned it, yeah. So we had reported on this when it first came out, you know, just like they did with the original AVP. They got their hands on uh, this early draft of the movie and they just tore it to shreds. They called it, it was something like looking at it in the best possible way. It's a complete disaster or something like that. But then they apparently got a cease and desist because they had taken down their review the following day. But when we had reported on that, we were like, well, this confirms that this is this is accurate. But I mean, to be fair, yeah, like you said, Aaron, this it is unfair to review a first draft of a script that I mean, there are a lot of things in this that are very similar to what we ultimately got. But there's a bunch of really like significant core changes as well. And improvements. And improvements, you know. I did notice at least three instances. I think Shane Salerno is a really big fan of Bishop getting ripped in half because there's at least three times where characters literally get ripped in half by aliens. Mm-hmm. Never predators, always aliens. And there's, and there's also so clearly he's deliberately making the little girl very mute-like. Yeah. Like the thing where she comes into the parents and saying what she saw through the night vision thing. It felt too much. Kids are not wordy. Kids give like yeah. one sentence. And when you give one sentence, it has more impact. I think if he'd have, obviously he might have done it on a different draft or something, but she says like three or four different lines. And it's not even typically like, da, 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 da. it's like line, line, line. So it's even formatted that way, which weird in your script you're not meant to do that but you're not meant to mention specific song titles either and he does that too there's a number of little weirdness things like that so adam mentioned as well you know there's a fair bit more in the sewer which i kind of miss you know you know me i'm a sucker for hive scenes and i liked these extra bits of like buddy and sam hived up and <laughs> you know what? As, as callous as the script is about like the homeless people in there, there was, I thought, a funny little exchange of Ricky being like, how did they get the sofa down here? Which I, I thought was, it gave me a smile. But all the, yeah, all the hive stuff, I, I'll, I'll always miss that. I'll always miss this extended thing of like the human characters being taken back yeah. and secured. Even, even though... It was stupid, but, you know, there's a shot of inside Sam while the chest yeah. is doing its thing. In his intestine. In his intestine. meant to be up by the lungs. It literally said you doing a reverse shit. It's going through the... Intestine. The script specifically mentions, like, this is the first time we've seen it from the inside, but I'm like, Alien Resurrection, like... <laughs> well, AVP, the shot of yes. Scar watching it in, in, the, yeah. in the Alien Vision. I think it would have been like that stupid shot in Resurrection with it in... It goes down his throat, yeah. Yeah, which would have been stupid. There's two different cocoon scenes in this. One worked for me, one didn't. The one that didn't is the buddy and... Is it Sam? Is Mm -hmm. it That one didn't work for me because it starts with the kid saying, it's moving inside me. And I'm thinking, 
you don't know there's an organism. You would just know it really hurts. But it's so tropey because it's just full of all this daddy help me, daddy do this, daddy do that. And it just felt cruel and unnecessary. Whereas the later one, there's the townspeople, they find the body and they have these red flares. And I was just seeing in my mind the visuals of these dead, you know, bursted bodies with the red flare. Like that would have looked beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the visual of like AVP Eternal, the comic where you have the big hive in the sewers and you see everyone hyped up down there. But yeah, it did feel unnecessarily drawn out and cruel with Sam and Buddy's death in the beginning. So the movie version was definitely a bit more... Even the face huggers make them bleed. Yeah. I mean, to to be fair though, the film's pretty cruel with the kid anyway. Yeah, and it added the whole babies and pregnant women thing in the film, which is nowhere in the script at all. Like, that was something that was... I know, there's no hospital sequence at all in in the script. But what was missing from the cocoon sequence was clearly people have been getting face hugged. There's no eggs. Yeah, there's just random face huggers that that just show up. You have to assume they all came from the ship and it had a. Could you imagine how much cooler that could have been if they're coming to all these conclusions that they've never seen an alien egg? So they just see over, and then one opens up, another one opens up. It would have given that ticking time bomb. And instead of that, we have a sheepdog coming along and the little kid goes, oh, he's scared. And it just randomly explodes with the chest and then it literally collapses. Okay, how pissed would we have been about that as well? Because I I had been reading the script last night and I said this to Aaron. I was like, oh shit, there's a runner in this too. And right after it bursts, they all just shotgun it in the face and kill it. And I was like... But they describe it as a normal chest burster. That, and I thought, oh... That- really? I mean, if it's a chest bur- Yeah, I guess it should have... With teeth. It doesn't describe it as having limbs. Huh. It just... Well, we as fans, if that would have been in the movie, we would have expected a runner if it's coming out of well, a dog. With ADI that involved, you would have thought they'd have spoken up about it. But I mean, yeah. it's the way it's written... Yeah. I think in those bullet points of random ideas, you know, they did mention hybrids. And I would have loved to have seen, you know, I, I get a kick out of it in the expanded universe. The games in particular, you know, do it. Is this image of all the different types of aliens together. And, and granted, we get it with, you know, the adults and the pred alien together on the screen. But just imagine how cool it would have been to also have had some other form of hybrid, some some runner, a pred alien, and, you know, a normal adult alien interacting together on, on the theatrical screen. It would have been cool. But yeah, Adam, you're totally right. It would have been like, again, another anticlimactic moment of, oh, shit, yes, we're getting a, we're getting a runner in this. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I will take this away from you. Cheesy dialogue about, you know, no, I'm just a mum kind of thing. I did like that personally, that bit of dialogue, but I didn't like what it, it felt very video gamey, what they did with the dog. And again, the dog just burst collapse. I thought this doesn't feel like how if you're a horror film director and it's an alien, you're going to play up that. Like you've literally got a, a pre-existing thing with a film with a dog in it. And it's nothing like that at all. It, it does feel fan, very, but... you know, again, it's it's that tension kind yeah. of speeding things up thing. You know, it's a very, it's a very violent, drawn out sequence in, in Alien 3. And, and in this one, it, it's very much kind of like done, done, done. Yeah. Blink and you miss it. Yeah. So I, again, I, I missed the opportunity to have multiple iterations of an alien design interacting together on the screen. Not that they do in the script, but the possibility, you know, is there. And also, the first thing that came, as soon as it came up to the kid, I thought, well, it's not been face-hugged, clearly, because it's not cocooned, but then it explodes. So my thought is then, why wasn't it cocooned? There are little moments 
in London. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that it was cut, as well as for you know the budgetary reasons of not having to then design, well, re redesign, rebuild, you know, these additional molds. One thing I did think the script did a better job of explaining was Wolf's desire, uh, Wolf's decision to go after the deputy. Because in the script, it's not really made clear that he's shown up to investigate the distress call. Even though a predator apparently sends one, you know, in the script, it seems more like he's the just wolf just shows up. Yeah. 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 I like that about this because it's literally just, it's being opportunistic like predators are. I kind of disagree. I like the idea of a predator cleaner. And if they're dealing with xenomorphs, there's sometimes where there's one sent in to like, okay, this just needs to be like dealt with at this point. And I was listening to the commentary tracks last night, a bit of the ADI one, but mostly the Colin Strauss, uh, well, the Strauss brothers and uh, John Davis. And they had talked about that and they were like, oh, we, we knew we might get some fan backlash. Like, why is this cleaner predator doing this? And they're like, well, it's just practice for him, whatever, you know. So, and I could kind of get that. I was like, yeah, this grizzled old predator, like maybe this human saw something. So he took him out and was like, oh, I haven't skinned a human in a while. This could be fun. Like it could be something as simple as that, you know, it's just practice for him. But it was kind of odd for me that this solo predator was jumping into this situation just for a hunt opportunity, which I don't know. I mean, maybe that would have worked, but I think it was a bit more interesting to have this new concept of this kind of cleaner predator that we ultimately saw in the film. Well, it works, yeah, but the problem, one of the main criticisms of Requiem is that as we have Wolf depicted, he clearly, or she or it, is clearly there to do the cleaning. And yet he does a lot of things like stringing dead bodies up that attract attention. It's it's a sort of counterproductive thing. Whereas in this, it's clearly a, a predator that is aware there's been an incident. So it goes there to, yeah, there's moments in this where it, it gets to choose over human targets or aliens, goes after the aliens because it finds them a bigger challenge. But it doesn't care. Like if there's a human there, it will go for them. It's not there to clean up. It's there to take out the big challenge. And it doesn't dissolve things either. It doesn't have that blue liquid. He doesn't go around. It sees yeah. the cocoon bodies, doesn't care about them. It moves on because it just wants to kill the alien. There were some odd bits too, like where it just chases the family out of the graveyard all the way to the bus station. Wolf is just chasing this family to hunt them. I'm like, really? Would it just really be hunting this running family? Yeah, but they had a gun. They had a gun. Know, they were fair that's game. The whole, I know. They still weren't a threat. I mean, it's it's definitely first draft symptom there. But, you know, it's, I agree with Eric. I agree with you as well. You know, it is the concept of these predators with specific roles, you know, within their society. It's why I kind of miss the idea of the emissaries in a little fashion, because, you know, an original intent was that they were perhaps scientists. You know, they weren't they weren't predator warriors. They were there was some other different profession or caste or however the predator society is structured. And it's like you say, you know, Adam, it's. It's interesting to have the concept of these predators that have to go up and clean up after these fucking tourists that go around causing <laughs> problems on um, on the various <laughs> hunting worlds. But to Eric's point, you know, it also this this is one of those problems of you know the finished films are a little bit muddly, and by a little bit, you know, a fair bit muddly, and things like him just stumbling, uh, you know, as a fucking tourist himself stumbling across this this situation explains things like him making this impromptu decision to, you know, bring attention to himself because he doesn't care about it in that script. He's not there to do a job. But then you also have moments like 
for some reason, I do not know why, the script does not say why, you know, his decision to shoot the power plant is very intentional in the script, whereas in the finished film, it's an accident, and it's one of those things that contributes towards making him like a fucking moron <laughs> as he progresses through, you know, through I the, mean, the film. he was shooting at an alien that was moving through the power plant. He might have not even known that was a power plant, like... Again, he makes the situation worse. That's what Wolf does in the finished film, is just a series of Wolf making things worse. When I mean, to be fair, it's it very doesn't matter to him job. if the power goes out. That doesn't affect his hunt much. Yeah, but it makes the aliens easier to spread. So, yes. It's... The film does some things better. The script does other things better. There wasn't quite that even ground met. And this is just one of those those moments where those two versions of this narrative, this story, this concept clash for me. Also, Tim survives. Makes it all the way to the helicopter. Well, does he survive? Yeah. Really? And what's weird about that is that the nuclear bomb is glowing for no apparent reason when it gets dropped out of the aircraft it's just like glow 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 are we are we moving all the way to the end now maybe we shouldn't there's still small <laughs> bits in in the middle to to talk about uh, although i think to be fair there's probably then we could probably wrap up shortly talk about the end because i think we've hit a lot of my notes in the random points of the discussion as we've gone along so what i've got now is dale is killed in that swimming pool i fucking hate dale I really do hate Dale in the film and in the script. He's a jackass. He deserves every painful death he gets. But yeah, he gets killed by the alien in the pool in the script. I kind of prefer him having that agonizing acid burning through his face to it. The script also has one of those cardinal sins of alien and predator sequel crimes. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Yes. Again, the homage thing. Don't think that particular line makes it into the finished film, does it? No. um, No. There's a bit of dialogue I've sort of copied and pasted here. What I think, again, it's, I think they were trying to do a new reference with a doll because it's got Molly. Mom. Barbie is a shameless attempt by a toy conglomerate to exploit the TV fuel dreams of preteen girls. Kelly looks at Molly. She's six. And then to Tim. Tim, she's been watching a lot of CNN trying to find news about you. <laughs> it's so crazy. And she throws away the Barbie, too. It's like... Yes. And there's moments here where Shane Salerno does comedy. And it feels like Saturday Night Live, the movie. And it's just not... No, don't. Don't do that. It's just not working at all the humor in some of these but yeah i thought that was a let's have the kid talk about doll this also paints jesse in a bit more of a negative light because in the finished film she's genuinely breaking up with her boyfriend because he's an asshole and pursuing things with ricky who it's kind of inferred she has an older friendship with whereas in this script that whole thing is a prank her bringing him to the pool she's still with dale she was just bringing him there to get his ass kicked by all these other guys and it's like wow well, she still denies that in this, but yeah, the the film does a better job of establishing they potentially had an older friendship, you know, what was it? You always didn't know how to pick them, Jesse, or something like that during the pizza sequence. Although I do miss Ricky had a nice little jab. Uh, no, it was Ricky has a moment after he's got beat up where Dale's like, was it worth it? And in the script, Ricky, after getting his fucking ass handed to him, is like, it was worth it. <laughs> which I, I feel is missing a little from the finished film. I did like that because he gave him a bit more of a, a backbone after having his ass handed to him. Give him a bit more strength yeah, of character. It was a good line for sure. And Darcy was a bit more of a badass in this one too. The mm-hmm. you know the widow of Buddy and mother of 
Sam who were killed in the beginning. Like in this one, it turns into more of a revenge thing for her. Whereas in the finished film, she's kind of more helpless. Yeah. You know, the whole joke of, oh, the government doesn't lie to people wasn't hers. It, it was Ricky's bosses. Who is definitely still the idiot in both versions yeah. of this. Well, there, there are some, there's a couple of nice bits of dialogue in this. We also have some fans who might look at the promotional shots. They might remember this thing where the directors were asked about it and they said, this will never see the light of day if we can help it. It's the one where the two black teenage kids... Kendra and Curtis, yeah. And there's three of them in this draft. Yeah, they're in the pickup truck and there's an alien sort of crouched on top of it in the rain. In this, we get to see what happened. There's a Ripley and APC reference, which was so in your face. But I mean, there's a couple of, there's like, um, they almost shoot them. And then Jesse says, don't shoot its people. And Dallas says, right. And that was just a dog. And I thought that was a nice bit of dialogue because it gets the point across. There's a part where Kendra, after all that happens is there's an alien. It goes on top of the truck. There's a reference to Alien Resurrection where it hurts itself because it can't get through the metal of a truck, really. (laughs) But it decides, right, I'm going to use acid. Instead of just going around the side, going through the glass. No, no, no. It decides to hurt itself, use the acid, burn the acid into the roof of the vehicle. And yeah, driving this truck because they're little kids and they see the, the other townsfolk who are survivors and she sees them and they hit the brake. The alien comes off and they shoot it. That's all that scene involves. But there's another where they're negotiating and Kendra says, we don't have any guns. Dallas says, we don't have a truck. She nods. They nod. That's it. That's the deal. That's efficient dialogue. I like that. But yeah, there's other moments where the dialogue is just not good. But that's what that scene contributed. And Kendra does have these moments in it where, again, it's another reference to aliens where Ripley is trying to shoot the gun and the alien is coming for her. And then she managed to shoot exactly the same thing happens with Kendra. She's got a shotgun. She can't find the trigger. Not sure how plausible, but maybe that's part of the reason the directors don't want it to be seen. But she can't find the trigger on the gun. And then she does. There's another bit with Jesse and Ricky where she's like, I don't know how to shoot again. And he's like, it's just like a camera. You point it and shoot it. And it's like, I hate oh. that so it's much. More involved. Like Hicks got more across to Ripley in that little It'll kick some. You know, recoil, changing a magazine. He hasn't even showed her where's the safety. When we say it's just point and shoot. No, <laughs> it's really not. Yeah, it was done better in Aliens. I, I imagine one of the studio notes was probably we need more action early on, early on because there is no sewer fight between Wolf and the aliens in this one. The first fight happens in Kmart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when they had actually well, filmed... Other than the spaceship. Other than the spaceship, yeah. I guess when they were filming the actual movie, they had had a larger store lined up in that... They were talking about this in the commentary. That location fell through, and so they had to go with a smaller store, which I guess was really small, but they had to make it look like it was kind of a bigger sporting goods store. I think it ultimately worked better, like you were saying, Aaron, just because like Colorado, outdoorsy, you think of like sporting goods store. If it was just like a grocery store, that would, I don't know, it would seem. Well, in the Kmart, there's also a thing where there's a bus that's held in suspension and they get the predator. Well, that was outside. That was like a bus yeah, yard. It was an adjacent. Yeah, and it like, feels like they were trying there. to do the Arnold thing with the log kind of. I don't know if that was a reference, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure a producer said swinging bus on a crane too expensive yeah. for cutting this one out. <laughs> yeah. 
there was a fake out. This script has a lot of fake outs. You think there's a monster. There was a fake out in the sewer where they're, you know, the, the twosome, they're going along in the sewer. And then there's these long, thin, towering shapes. And they look up and it's actually what you said, like there's homeless people. And you think you're being led to think they're aliens because at one point you do see the alien and it's just a few feet away from them, and it just lets them pass. But there's a lot of fake-outs on them. It was better in the finished film with the quick shot of the yeah. chestburster. Yeah. Another difference was the sheriff dies in Kmart, you know, Eddie Morales. Mm-hmm. Early I on, liked yeah. him in the script, because I think he turned into a bit of a jerk in the film. And I was actually quite... I was actually genuinely sad when he died in the script. I was like, I'd actually really come to quite like him. Yeah, and it did kind of build upon his previous relationship with Dallas a bit more in the script as well. The whole like disagreement thing in the APC that they have in the film, they still have that moment here, but everyone just agrees to to go to the airfield. Yeah, as one. Yeah, as, as a single group. I kind of prefer the APC that we ultimately got because, yeah, it is that kind of nostalgic connection to aliens, seeing the striker and everything. Like, that's kind of cool, as opposed to just driving the truck through the streets. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I get in the film, the sheriff felt like he had an obligation to go to his people, and this was the official thing he was supposed to be doing. But yeah, it did feel like he was a bit too quick in the movie to just not consider the alternative. So should we talk the end sequence then? The last part of the script and the last major difference. I think it had potential to be a really interesting atmospheric fight because the script makes a very big deal of it being this foggy setup. You know, one of the characters, I think it's Kendra's, it's a very silly line, but somebody would think it, you know, isn't it too... The weather too bad to to uh, fly in this, but I think it had potential to be really interesting because in my mind I was visualizing that cinematic from I think it was the Soldiers Inc. AVP add-on. Do you remember that, Adam? Yeah, that that little teaser trailer that had the alien and the the mist there. Yeah, so I was picturing that kind of vibe to this battle sequence of it being you know this incredibly low visibility and the aliens just kind of emerging from this vapor. It had potential to be a very good atmospheric battle sequence, I think. Well, the other thing that's changed is the National Guard thing. There isn't... Doesn't yeah, happen. No. yeah there's, there's not that scene. He calls the National Guard, but there's no mention yeah, of them. And somehow it's written in the script. They say, they know we could be infected. They don't. I'm thinking, how does the US military have a doubt yeah. they could be infected? So I think what they did, they replaced that with the National Guard sequence. So it's a similar yeah. sort of soldiers being grabbed out of the darkness thing. I do think the cinematography on the National Guard scene isn't great, though, in the film. Yeah, it was a bit short and rushed. And there is a scene in this draft of the script, too, where they just drop the flare into the sewers and they see the hive. And then all the characters are like, oh, this is how it works. They need us to breed. And I'm like, would they be having this discussion right now? Like, so I don't know. Like that, that felt a bit. Yeah, some of the dialogue in this was just like, this is a first draft. So, I mean, it's hard to fully judge it as that because a writer knows it's a first draft, too. Right. Like the writer's going to revise things. This is about kind of getting the basic plot laid out, which, like you were saying, Aaron, the basic plot is largely the same. You know, if we're talking the broad strokes, it's largely the same. But there's a lot of significant dynamic changes and detail changes that I think make for ultimately pretty different finished film. I believe there may be another draft after this one. 
that we have. Uh, there's, there's, there's going to be more. There's going to be multiples. There's at least that one we know of where it's the aliens doing the infecting with the tongue. You know, we've already discussed that. We know there was an intermediary there. There's going to be multiples. What's knocking around in the collector's sphere? Unknown. But as we're finding out, you know, as of recording and probably as of editing, I won't have shared it yet. But you know, I've just brought a first draft of Anderson's AV pick. Ooh, nice. We will be excited to release that. And I just bought two spiral bound AVPR concept art books that were used for like initial development phase, I believe. Mm-hmm. So my point more there, Adam, is it, it, we are coming on the 20th anniversary of AVP next year. Next yeah. year. And I've only just found and purchased a copy of that first draft. So when I finally scan it up and release it for everybody, it's been 20 years that we have been nerding out online and talking about minutiae before this piece of, you know, this piece of the film's history, this piece of its progress and development is out there. So give it time. You know, I'm sure we'll eventually come across other drafts of the AVP Requiem as well, and we'll see what's out there. There's still Alien 3 scripts that we don't know, and Eric's yes. going to bring up that treatment of Alien Resurrection. I know he is because that's what yeah. he loves. Um, yeah. Although, to be fair, the, the treatments new. never really come out. The treatments very rarely come out, unfortunately, compared to the scripts. Oh, and I have, an, I have another script uh, sat waiting for me to uh, sort out to release as well Ooh. from a, a recent film. So, you know, there, there's still things, you know, this this stuff coming for you guys and girls out there. Couple last things I want to mention about this one. Dallas still gets the Predator weapon. And this one also definitively has the Predator lose. Which I like. Yes. It's quite brutal as well. It's very brutal. He just they gets torn to shreds. Shit out of him. Pretty much. And there was a cool moment where him he takes a alien tail to the leg, which I liked. It kind of made me think of Starship Troopers a little bit, you know, where the bug sinks yeah, its uh, yeah. It's Spike into Johnny Rico, and I like... This is something I want to see in a future AVP. I want to see the creatures injure them each other and it carry on throughout the story. Of course, it's not really how it works in here, but I want to see more impact from their fights. You know, I want to see more lasting impact from their encounters with each other. And again, it doesn't, it's not lasting throughout this because it's all in the very final moment of the film, but to see him injured and then progressively get worse, he's, you know, Wolf's still taking out the aliens to some extent, but they still keep coming on him. And, um, I, I distracted myself with the innuendo there. I just had Archer going freezing in my <laughs> head then. Uh, freezing? So, yeah, it kind of reminded me of that flashback sequence, you know, on the pyramid. Yeah. But perhaps a bit more graphic than it was I depicted well, I in think on this, AVP. I did feel the, the aliens were weirdly a little bit better handled because they're a lot stealthier in this one they're not going raw you have moments in the script of like it pointing out an alien yeah going on on the ceiling and stuff like that describes it as like a spider dropping from a web and i did get that that was that was really good descriptive imagery yeah and the brett sequence it made me think yeah he's clearly trying to do that same the evoke that scene from it but you did have, they, there were these, because when you're writing a script, you're not meant to do like a blow-by-blow thing. You're meant to give the gist of what you want the director to do, and the director interprets it. And this one does have a number of points where it says, you know, they don't say Clash of the Titans, but they say, you know, an inhuman Titanic-type fight, and they say the with both species being wounded and all the rest of it. The actual way the Predator dies, I mean, it's... <laughs> 
what's ironic about it is it's you know it goes up against three aliens it eventually gets overwhelmed basically but it does this thing again it does this in bold underlined if the predators won antarctica the aliens have won texas and it continues on like the aliens have gotten revenge for a hundred hunts over a thousand years in antarctica and it's like come on like it's not don't put it doesn't add anything to the story it's like when, when you're told about how to put in a script how to put music don't specify a track because the a the studio might not have the rights b the director might not they might have a better idea but i was given an example and the writer said it's to give this it's in this upbeat scene blah 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 and the, and the critic he's like a professional script writer and he says don't tell me the script the scene is upbeat show me and this has a lot of breaking of that show don't tell rule this has a lot of telling you this is happening this is about revenge as adam said but it's not showing you and it's always better if you're writing a script and we are evaluating this as a script we're just comparing it thing it needed sometimes a bit more show don't tell and sometimes it suffered from that but yeah the actual way the predator dies is uh, quite a Valhalla <laughs> I think it would. I think it would have been nice end for him. Hmm. Well, maybe not because he doesn't get off the the, the wrist nuke. The the airfield felt like such a boring location. I mean, they're just fighting on the tarmac. Like it's well, that's where it's it that felt... fog imagery and that doing yeah. it in the middle of all this. But I mean, vapor. you still had the pouring rain on top of that. I I just thought the hospital was a more interesting location for where the hive ultimately was. How they had to move up to the hospital. They're on the rooftop. The helicopters on the rooftop makes sense mm-hmm. for a helicopter to be on a hospital. Like for them just running to an airfield, fighting on the tarmac. Like it just seems not as interesting. It's definitely more visually interesting and, and choreographed. Oh my god! Choreograph, yeah. yeah, and then you get like more interesting moments with Jesse and and the shuriken and stuff like that. But again, yeah. that's 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 Wolf being stupid. Oopsie! I just killed an unarmed. Yeah, but I mean the, the thing about Requiem as the film, it feels very sort of. 1990s zombie flip and it feels when you talk about the hospital roof whenever i watch that it makes me think it feels like the director's just played a game of left for dead that's it what i like about very it left like, for dead. i like yeah there's nothing yeah nothing wrong with like it that. but it feels very left for deady yeah. when you're watching it whereas remember you're in the minority there as well adam i know i know <laughs> i like the resident evil influence that the film ultimately had but also dallas does recover the predator weapon in this one which was kind of weird it feels left field in this one. Yeah, right? there's no um, Miss Utani after credits type thing in nope. this. It is just they drop the bomb and that's it. The Nuclear explosion, is. flash to credits, and I was like, that's too quick. <laughs> Our hero was awesome. They've made it into the helicopter. They're taking off to safety to this bomb dropping them, taking them out. It's such a anticlimax. It's such a sudden and anticlimactic ending, and we've used that word a lot in this iteration of the, of the story. You know, anticlimactic. I kind of, I mean, my note for it is I dig the cold, brutal end, but it's so goddamn anticlimactic. You know, you know me, I like, I like this cruel, evil, the world doesn't give a shit kind of stuff that we see in some, some iterations of Alien. (laughs) And, and to, you know, to, to one extent, I do actually really like it, but fuck me. It's just, and then the end. That is essentially all this is. You know, maybe if there was a tale to it, not necessarily the Miss Utani stuff, just something, sure. just something that isn't yeah. so sudden, I would have still liked it because I'm I'm a sadistic motherfucker who just likes that brutal stuff. The dark ending they were going to shoot with the special forces just taking was them out. Just executing them, yeah. 
that would have been kind of cool. It was like an alternate yeah. ending. Like, that would have been pretty dark. I mean, even when we say, like, the military's reasoning for the... if Even if the military did somehow know about infection stuff, as soon as they put that in the dialogue, I know that as the audience member, I would have been going, well, they, they just quarantine you. They take you to Area 51 or, or whatever. They just quarantine you. You know, they wouldn't shoot you just for being infected. They, you, they do whatever, but they're not just going to go, let I kill you. It's very James Bond villainy like so on. I, I prefer the way they did it in the film. Yeah, it feels too like I'm, I'm with Aaron. Sometimes I like these nihilistic endings, but I like them like Terminator Three did it, where they had the balls to do Judgment Day. But John Connor and Kate, they're in that bunker and they're not having a happy time. They're what they know the world is ending, sort of thing. And it's that very somber feel to it. A lot of people agree that Terminator fans, even if they don't like Terminator 3, they love the ending to it. And it has that vibe. Here, it's just like a waiter takes the tablecloth and everything's standing at the day. No, everybody out, because it's just bomb drops, that's it. And you don't get this somber resonance to it. And there's no closure. It's just, it's like the Alien 3 thing where some people get upset about Hicks and Newt because they've invested in the characters. And this is almost Shane Salerno going, invest in my characters because I don't like you. I'm going to take my characters away and they're all going to perish in an inferno. It will feel like you've had the rug tape away under your feet at the end. I, th- I think how we got it was the better yeah, way. Definitely. If I had problems with it being an F-22, it would have been much better to be a B-1. Yeah, because those things don't have nuclear bombs. But Exactly. So the film was better? In some ways. I think pretty concretely, yeah, it was... Just some maybe, maybe little details that, that worked better in the script. Some things the script does a, a bit better. There are little script scenes that weren't in it, and I think they could have been in it if they modified them a bit, like the cocoon stuff. But there's other things that, yeah, you watch the film and you go, well, whatever you think about it, they did other stuff better. And it's like the engineer's script versus Prometheus. It's like somewhere in between. Oh, no. Engineers is unequivocally better. <laughs> Well, there is, but there's other parts I think we did. That. But anyway, yeah, it's it for me. It's is a like a, a scale balance thing, and sometimes I think, yeah, this has been inter- more interesting. But then I, th- I think on a technical level, the film is substantially better than the script. There is a few minor details in it that I think are just work a teeny bit better in the script. And there's some potentially other things that could have been interesting, you know, like I said, with the mist and all that sort of stuff. But from an an entirely objective technical point of view, yeah, I think the film did a far better job. (laughs) If you're judging it as a script, there are moments where the script itself undercuts itself. Like when the two characters, they're they're in the sewer, and one sort of ribbing the other one about when they were little, they watched the alligator movie and they were afraid to sit on the toilet because they thought the alligator would come up. And they're basically... One's taking the piss out of the other one for being scared of monster movies. They're going, ooh, sort of thing. And it's the kind of thing that a film like Scream, which is written and directed in a much more competent manner, it subversively used. It used those tropes, but it used them as strengths. In this, it undercuts would-be tension because it's ridiculing the other characters for being scared of monster movies. And I'm just thinking, that whole thing could have just been removed from the script. You didn't need it there. All it does is undercut would-be tension from being in the sewers, especially when you've got this thing of 
tall shadows closing in and okay they turn out to be homeless people but like that shot could have looked quite cool if it would been handled right so i think like Aaron said just the the shot we get at the chest burster in the sewer in that little hole like that's a really cool creepy shot and that helps for for the tension i yeah. think better than this weird reference to alligator which i mean is as cool as it is to to see that and i still need to see that movie Tasha says I need to see that movie because she loves it. But yeah, it's just interesting seeing this alternate version of AVPR to to what we got. A couple other alternate versions of the story too. I mean, we have the Rebellion PSP game, which I don't think they had the full script. I think they had notes and they had some footage, but they creatively made their own kind of different decisions. And it has the larger store in that one. I mean, it's a bit closer to the finished film than I think this draft of the script is, but there's still some significant differences in locations like movie theater and the ending. The other alternate version, I guess, would be if you count the the Halloween Horror Nights maze, you know, the Hollywood version was an adaptation of AVPR and it ends with this cool sequence of like the queen alien in this, this farmhouse, which I just loved that visual so much going through that. I was like, ah, oh, that would have been so cool if that was like the thing in the movie, like that would have made more sense. It's just like the comics. It's a predator ship that has a queen on it. The queen gets out. We don't see her to the end. And it's the same with the PSP version. We see a queen burst out of the ground. I mean, that also is a bit anticlimactic because there's no pred alien in that game and we don't have any confrontation with the queen. It just emerges from the rubble and then is nuked. That one also had Wolf definitively as the victor, you know, surviving. So, yeah, I think ultimately the finished film has has some things that are, at least I think, you know, are are really good about it. I like that final shot of the nuke going off and you have Chet and Wolf in this kind of death lock as, as they're both being destroyed. I know it feels like another, like, none of them won, you know, and it would be good to get, like, a movie that has a definitive winner. And there's some things I like about the the alternate stories we've seen from AVP, even this draft, like we have discussed, like some little things this draft does handle better than we ultimately got. But I think overall, the film is the definitive version of, well, at least compared to this draft. I'm sure hopefully there's a better version in the future. I know there never will be, but I want to see those film scenes. I want to see the deleted scene in the classroom with him looking at the clock and shit. You know, I want to see what happened with Kendra and Curtis, like, because that could, that would have had to have been different from, well, from the draft because Kendra survives to the end in this draft. Also, there's only two, or at least in the promotional shot, we only see two, two kids. Yeah, there's Kendra and Curtis. And in this one, there's three. Yeah. Again, opinions on the film, opinions on the actual quality of these alternate or previous or, you know what I mean, these older drafts, opinions on the actual quality aside, I will always find them fascinating to see these alternate versions in in another branching part of the string theory, reality kind of stuff, what could have been. So you know my opinions on the film and you know my opinions on the overall quality of the script, but I will always be fascinated at these roads not taken. I enjoyed this one. It's again why I suggested like Eric Red's Alien 3, you know, when we were first talking about this, Adam. So even though we were talking about something I knew wasn't going to be objectively good, it was a fun time to go and revisit them. And I enjoyed I enjoyed nerding out on this episode. I've been a little bit tired of the negative expanded universe episode. So to go and have some fun with this script one was a nice change of pace, a nice uh, breath of fresh air for me. There's a parallel timeline out there somewhere where we got this. They just went with the, the first draft. <laughs> Yeah, and the and the first draft of the script was the film we actually saw. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Yeah, you're right, Aaron. It is always fun exploring those earlier concepts or alternate concepts. We see Alien 3 being the most famous because it just had so many, you know. 
and I loved what they were doing at the end of Dark Horse's run, starting to explore some of those in a different format. Like, I really hope we start to see stuff like that again. Right. Anything else left to say, gents? Or are we all happy? So again, we'll have some further context when when we get our hands on those uh, concept art books soon. So we'll be releasing those. If you'd like to read this script yourself, it's in our download section. I think it's the only AVP2 script we currently have. So hopefully you eventually find another one. If you're a collector out there who has a different draft of this AVP script, AVP2 script, please feel free to send them over. That way I don't have to spend £600 on stuff from... <laughs> Prop store. You know what? I never realized... Well, no, that's, that's a lie. I always knew it was expensive to be a prop collector. And I was, I've was i been listening to a, a podcast called Things Dreams Are Made Of, I think it is, because they had an episode with uh, Harry Harris and Willie Goldman. They talked about like the, the pulse rifles and stuff like that. And they did a later one with Harry when he sold his collection and it went all up on auction a year or two back. I was, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is an expensive hobby that the, the layperson cannot get into. And when I'm having to sink off a fucking grand into a production used <laughs> script so I can get it out there, I'm like, oh, yeah. We are, we are dedicated. I would just say, um, you know, in total sort of review of this, it is worth keeping in mind that some of the film's flaws was primarily a very tight, fast shooting schedule they didn't have the time they needed to shoot things how they wanted to and of course the darkness thing was not their fault that was a studio issue even the director of of photography for that movie i believe said like they ruined what i shot i believe i remember him saying that at one point but yeah i mean you look at that initial trailer it was bright enough yeah and then the movie wasn't so, well, that yeah, that was color grading ones. So that's an entirely different thing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the film has its own urban myths there, shall we say. So next few episodes should hopefully be some interesting AVP extinction coverage. We have a couple of interviews that are probably going to be one episode lined up, which I'm very, very much looking forward to. You know, I do feel like video games, and I'm sure Adam do as well, you know, they're production and development is not as well documented as the films are so to have this opportunity to celebrate the 20th anniversary and talk to some of the developers on that game i'm really looking forward to and um we shall adam and i all being well will be joined by darkness making his podcast debut to discuss our own you know a little round table review on on the game so I'm looking forward to that. We do potentially also have some cool interviews. Maybe again, it all depends on what falls into the what falls into place and all that sort of stuff. But I'm courting a few people for some interviews, which will make a nice change of pace because, like I said, most of this year's just been nagging on the <laughs> expanded universe, and it's really been annoying me how much I've not really been enthusiastic for the most of this year so far. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, some chats. And Adam, I've found Mike Kennedy. I've already sent him a message to ask about Sandtrap. So uh, nice. maybe... That would make for a good one. Maybe we can get Mike on the show. Yeah. Also, we have a game coming out here in less oh, than... Oh, God. Yeah, then we're going to be doing a bunch of interviews we'll on... We'll be covering, um, covering that, hopefully. Dark Descent, yeah. Well, we'll be covering it either way. You know, if they want to talk to us or not, but... We'll have a re- we'll have a review on that. I've been talking to one of the the writers, the narrative guys on the game. Oh, did you finally get a hold of somebody? Oh yeah, I spoke to them ages ago. To again, we'll we'll you know make sure we like the game first, but potentially you know we're, we could be talking to some of the people who worked on that. So we'll see. 
Looking forward to that one. It's always good when we have the big games coming because that's kind of how we got our start, you know, is the AVP, the AVP yeah, gaming space. So where can folk find us online, Adam? Well, you can always find us on our website, which is avpgalaxy.net. And we're on all the major socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you just search AVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us. Also, we have our first affiliate sponsor, which is Entertainment Earth. So if you are in the market for Alien, Predator, or AVP merchandise or collectibles, head on over to their site. If you use the URL ee.toys forward slash AVP Galaxy, it really helps us out. So... If you're you're looking to buy some merch, we do appreciate that. If you find what you want through them, be sure to use that link. And they ship internationally? Yeah, they are they are US based. They're based in Southern California, but yes, they do ship internationally. And I've I've ordered through them. I've always had great experiences with them. Usually I've always ordered through them or or Big Bad Toy Store, but Entertainment Earth has has been great. Hopefully if I make it out to Comic-Con, we can check out their booth there as well. So Cool. Well, you can find me personally on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. If you'd like to follow me personally, it's at RidgeTop21 on both Twitter and Instagram. Eric, are you? I'm on the dark web. I'll send you a box (laughs) of stuff for a few thousand. So uh, again, as tradition, we skip Eric. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. This has been Corporal Hicks. RidgeTop. Xenomorphine. And we actually have a a choice of sign-off lines here because get to the chopper would be very appropriate considering how how it ends. Looking at the clock. But looking at the clock (laughs) will always be my favourite sign-off. You know what we should do? We should do... We're signing off from the chopper. (laughs) (sighs) No, it's just... It's not quite the same ring. Let's do a bit of Molly dialogue. Oh, we didn't mention it, but... We don't speak Rambo are both sporting our AVPR shirts today for those of you watching the video version. Mine, mine's a lie, though. I survived the Midnight Massacre, which is Christmas Eve 2007. The UK didn't get it until January, yeah. so mine's just a blatant lie. I've got Christmas baubles with it. <laughs> That's right. They had ornaments, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never got my hands on on one of those, unfortunately. We didn't even have midnight showings in my state at the time, uh, so I saw it first thing on Christmas morning. Goodbye, family. I need to go see AVP. <laughs> I mean, over here, <laughs> cinemas aren't even open on Christmas. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, we everybody. Digressed. Until next time. Looking at the clock. You're looking at me. Oh, fuck. <laughs>